Welcome to the next track. A podcast about how people listen to music today. I'm Doug Adams. And I'm Kirk McElhern. We self-produce the Next Track podcast and want to keep it ad-free, so we rely on contributions from listeners for support. You can help us by making a regular donation via Patreon. Visit patreon.com slash the next track. And thanks. So apparently you have a list of conversation starters well, of how to break the ice at podcasts. You were, you were just telling me before you started recording that the thing about the loop deck and not wait a minute, even before we get to this, I should tell people that Kirk is in England and I'm in the United States and I get up around seven. I used to get up at five and Kirk would, that's right. Yeah. And Kirk would, um, uh, text me interesting tidbits of news and stuff like that. First thing in the morning. Now I don't see them until I get up. It's not like he wakes me up or anything like that. Right. And I know that you've got notifications turned yeah. off, so I wouldn't do it if I was worried it was going to wake you up. Right. So I always, I usually wake up to an interesting notification from Kirk. Kirk has found something interesting to look at. Today it was Loop Deck software has Apple Script support. Now that may not mean anything to anybody, and that's a yeah. you know. But I thought we'd talk a little about Loop Deck and a little bit about how we are getting into this outboard gear stuff. There's a name for these devices. They call them control surfaces. Control surfaces, right? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And what it, what one of these is is essentially something you use to control an app without using a keyboard or a mouse or a trackpad or whatever. There. Are, I think they were originally designed for audio apps, for controlling MIDI and stuff. And then they started being applied to photo editing apps. Now, just think about it. When you've got sliders or knobs or dials, it makes it really easy to change things when you're editing a photo. You want to change the exposure a little bit. It's a lot easier to have a dial or a knob than to use a mouse or trackpad, click on the slider and move it. And it makes, I mean, for professional photographers, it makes editing an awful lot quicker for us, we're kind of both using these things in different ways. So I'll put links in the show notes. I bought a Loop Deck Live early this year. And it's a device that has, let me see, it has 12 buttons. It has six knobs, three on each side. And then it's got eight buttons on the bottom for different pages of the 12 buttons on top. So you can literally have hundreds of buttons. It comes with profiles for specific apps, and you can con custom configure it. You can put icons on the buttons or names on the buttons. So unlike some of these devices where you have to remember which button does what, this is all labeled. The, the great thing about these things is that no matter how well skeuomorphically the software is designed, for some reason you just don't want to use a mouse to slide a slider. Or my worst thing is, my least favorite thing is, turning a knob because a knob in software <laughs> is not round it's it's a slider it just goes up and down so it's really just for the effects and it's sometimes when you have to place a mouse elsewhere in the software elsewhere in the ui that you aren't working in and i'm thinking specifically working on editing a, a particular track and then you go you know what i want to do i want to enlarge the screen you have to move your mouse from where you're working to another part of the screen and or use keyboard shortcuts or whatever. But in any case, your work is disrupted. Yeah. And one of the things that I like <clears throat> one of the things that I've I like is having my hands on a knob or a slider and riding it. Mm. That's just the way I used to do audio. You'd sit there with your hand on the mixer and you know, you'd just have all your fingers on the mixer. 
it's really funny because because before there was software, if you, let's say at the end of the day, you were doing a big mix with a 16 track and you had all your knobs right where you want them, and then the cleaning lady comes in at night and says, well, those don't look even. And then, <laughs> you know, I mean, things like that can happen in the physical world. So it's nice that you have that software control. But on the other hand, having an outboard controller with that tactile feedback that you get from your fingers and your eyes, I mean, that's how we're built. Yeah. You know, we're built to to work that way. And so uh, I really like the um, these... Control surfaces. Uh, uh, control surfaces. Now, the funny thing is, it was a couple of years ago when I bought that, my big volume knob. Yeah. Yeah, I, right? I think that's kind of what tipped us off because that's what got me started thinking about it. I just, out of as a lark, I bought a, a, a USB volume control. You plug it into the back of your computer and it it's a volume control for your computer. It's pretty simple. They used to make, remember the one that used to look like a doorknob back in the 90s? It was, somebody made one. It was like Logitech or somebody had uh, no, one. No, Griffin pretty- made something. I forget what it was called, but it was a machined aluminum like on a, a 1970s receiver, audio receiver. Yeah, it looked very I nice, but it was very big and it looked kind of, I don't know. I never really. No, I, it wasn't that big. I had one. I probably still have one in a box somewhere. What was nice is it did two things. You could turn it like a volume knob and you could also press it. Right. That's exactly what the one I have is. Although it's much sleeker, it's black, very low to the, very low to the counter, and it's it's nice. And I got a little plastic frog on it because it has no, it has no delineations. Uh, it's just a knob, right? So you really don't know where it is, which is great because it's completely relative. Yeah. So I put the little frog to say, okay, well that's the low part of the volume, and the, but if I turn it up or turn it down, I have a an idea where. Right. Um, Reference. Um, So I really like the idea of having these tactile things. Now, you've got the loop deck, which um, is buttons mostly, right? It's it's got a... No, you got a new one. No, I got a new one. Let me just... I just want to react to something you said about turning knobs with the mouse on in software. It's the input gain and output gain in the compressor in Logic Pro that annoy me to no end because you have to drag up and down to turn that knob, and it makes no sense. Why not just have a slider? You've got sliders everywhere else. You've got faders in the mixing section of it, but those knobs, all the knobs in the, in the compressor in Logic are like that. I think it's the manufacturers. If you ever see plugins, they look yeah. beautiful. They, if they were actual yeah. real things, 3D things, instead of this you know, skeuomorphic design, yeah. but they're so beautiful. And I think that's why they want to have the knobs because knobs, knobs are 50% of the electronics you buy. They're, they're potentiometers. Yeah. They're, they're tried and true. Tots. Touch. Yeah. So the, the loop deck. So I said before I had the loop deck live for a while and the loop deck CT is like the loop deck live. So it's got 12 buttons, six knobs on the top, but it's got a bottom section with a number of buttons that are preset. So there's like an undo and a save and a couple of others. And it's got a wheel in the middle. And the one thing I wanted was a wheel to move back and forth in Logic Pro when when I'm editing podcasts. And I couldn't do this with the knobs because with the knobs, it would be like a ratchety move. It wasn't smooth. And with this, it is. So yes, I spent 419 pounds to get a wheel to move in Logic Pro. But I need to keep moving back and forth in Logic Pro, and I need to do it without looking at something. So you just put your hand on it and you turn, and it's 
It's like when you're driving a car, you know, the, the, the car becomes an extension of your body because you're so used to the movements you make. It's the same kind of thing. Now, this is fully programmable. You can program it per app. So every app I use, if I want to spend the time, I could program it for different things. A lot of them come with preset work. Uh, flows for specific apps. Right. So the Loop Deck has maybe 20 different presets. So I took the one for Logic and I took all the commands that I use regularly, it's about eight commands I use regularly, and I put them onto one page of buttons and got rid of the rest because I don't need them because I'm not doing the kind of work that you do when you're mixing music. I'm just editing podcasts. Right. That's that, you know, this goes back decades for me. There is no voice focused DAW everything a lot of the a lot of these these logic and and Ableton and any of these other software audio workstations they they are really catering towards music and friends of mine have and I have always lamented that there's no specifically voice oriented DAW there's a, there's a thing called Hindenburg which a lot of journalists use I was just going to mention that yeah, yeah. But it's still just a multi-track, and it's it's geared a little bit just towards voice because they don't have the music stuff in it. But it's still not exactly like, just give me five tracks, one for voice and four for sound effects and, and music, and that's all we really need. And it, it's unfortunate that you've got, you know, Logic is like the Photoshop of audio editing. There are thousands of commands, and each of those commands has thousands of of things you can do. And a lot of times you just don't need all of that stuff. And this, uh, these devices, these external control services enable you to focus just your attention on, on, on the things that you need. And I, I it's really great. And I'm, so I have yet to buy one of these. I bought a set yesterday, but uh, I, I'm very much looking forward to being able to use that stuff. The, the point you make about logic of having thousands of commands and features is that they also have keyboard shortcuts. So with a lot of apps that I use, I remember keyboard shortcuts. But with logic, every time I try to assign a keyboard shortcut to something I want to do, it says this is already assigned. Yeah. And so it gets to the point where you just don't want to bother with keyboard shortcuts anymore. And having the buttons with icons that indicate what they're going to do makes it so much easier. There are, you know, as I said, there's six or eight things I do in Logic, and I need to be able to access them quickly. And I don't want to have to remember the keyboard shortcuts because I always get confused because it's command option shift V or whatever there. Because there's so many shortcuts, they have to have modifiers. And that amplifies the number i think you can go in and really start digging around and changing the keyboard shortcuts but it you can the but then you get a message that is conflicting with another keyboard shortcut that only shows up in a certain context because yes. logic is yeah you know it's huge it's, yeah. it's, it's a but, big program so interestingly when i bought my vocaster 2 which is my new audio interface it came with a license for hindenburg light and i fired it up when i tried it and i just why bother because it's not that different. A couple years ago, I remember one of us showed the other one some new podcast editing tool that lets you edit by text. So it would transcribe the text and you would cut and paste and, and delete text to be able to edit. The problem is when there are times when I'm editing that someone starts to say something and then stops and then starts again. And there's a tiny bit you have to cut out and you can't do that if it's just text. Unless somehow it's got AI behind it to make it sound better, which why haven't we gotten there yet? 
Well, right. I I don't know. I don't know if I want to get there yet, but I suppose I'm just looking it up. I think it's called Descript. I'm just searching on Google Live, um, and it looks like I'll I'll put a link in the show notes. No, it looks like you're still editing the audio. It's just a different type of interface. But I'll put a link in the show notes anyway. Worth looking at it to see. But I agree. I was originally using GarageBand to edit podcasts, but there are a couple of features that Logic has that GarageBand doesn't, which made it worth spending the $200 to buy Logic. And it is frustrating that I can't just hide everything that I don't use, that there can't be a simplified interface. But Well, that's been the complaint about Adobe products as well. You you know, it's all right there and it's it's menacingly daunting when you first look at it to think, how am I going to, I don't, your first uh, reaction to logic was, I don't need all that stuff, you know, and yep. it's. Until I learned that I do need these two things in particular that make a difference. Yeah. But I want to go back to Loop Deck and AppleScript. What this means is now you could always set an AppleScript to run Loop Deck if it was saved as an applet, but you couldn't run a script that's just a script. And now you can, which means the next time I have a bunch of CDs to rip in iTunes, I'm going to create a, I said iTunes, I mean the music app, and I'm going to create a, a setup with the scripts that I use, albumize selection, rename, remove end characters, et cetera. I'm going to put them on the thing, tap a thing, boom. That's that's pretty cool. I'm, I'm really looking yeah. forward to what can I do externally from the computer that will make it easier, or at least mentally easier. I mean, like I said before, you get a little bump in your workflow, and it's it's a bummer. Um, you want to stay in the you want to stay in the zone. You don't want to be out of the zone. And I, I, these things are are, are just going to be phenomenal for that. And I love the idea of just pushing a button and something happening outside. Pushing yeah. a button on the computer and something happening that happens all the time. Yeah. Pushing a button over here. Oh, look at that! It's all done. <laughs> um, very exciting. So, what about the thing you ordered? Tell us about it. Oh well, it's by a company called Monogram. They make modular uh, pieces that go together. They have. A, they're like little, I don't know, about an inch and a half or so <clears throat> big. And you put them together like a jigsaw puzzle. They hold, they're held together by magnets. And each module has a different uh, effect. One has three sliders. One has three knobs. One has three switches. Uh, you can get the big uh, scrubbing wheel for one. I didn't get the scrubbing wheel. I don't scrub when I'm doing logic. Scrub means you move the track back and forth to listen so I ordered it, and it's pre-ordered now. I guess they're so popular, they, they sold out, and then the, the next batch is being prepared now. I've looked at a few YouTube videos of people who use them with Logic, and it, it looks to be the real thing, the real deal. This is going to be very exciting. Um, it, it comes with uh, uh, workflows for Logic as well as the Adobe products and some other things. Um, I didn't pay much attention to the other things. But you can also customize it for any app you want. The same as with the loop deck. And right. And it didn't mention Apple script. I'm a bit concerned about that, but not really. I hadn't really thought about it until I got your message this morning that loop deck has Apple script support. I'm like, well, very interesting, but you know, and that's encouraging too, because Apple script is, this is the perfect thing for Apple script yeah. to, to be able to fire like these little auxiliary programs and these little tiny little, you know, little workflows that's just tremendous. I I, I I applaud Loop Deck for, for keeping AppleScript front alive. of mind when doing keeping this. Keeping it alive. Yeah. 
because you are worrying that Apple Script's going to go away. I, you know, I do worry about. It. I don't really think it's going to go away, but I do worry that it's going to go away. <laughs> yeah, I, I think <laughs> there's know, just too much invested. It would be, yeah. you know, it's since System Seven Point Six or whatever or 7.1, that there's just people who've been using it for decades. Now, the thing about your monogram device is it's a lot more expensive. Well, it's not that much more expensive than what I just bought, but they don't sell in the UK. So if I were to buy one, I'd have to pay customs duties. Because oh. I do like the idea of just having a couple of those things that just sit there for very specific things, right? Like your USB volume knob. Right, right. It's just Unfortunately, yes. they just don't have UK distribution. Oh, that's too bad. I didn't know that. As I've been looking at videos of people using these things, I've noticed that a lot of what they're calling today content creators, that's people who wear a baseball hat backwards and make videos for YouTube, they have multiple devices. They may have a, a loop deck, a steam deck, a monogram, and they may have four or five devices. And what I find interesting is that you can think of each device as a device for controlling part of your workflow. So you can separate your workflow. Yeah, I I think you could. Well, how many devices do you want to have in front of you on the computer? That's that's, you know, that's another thing. We're well, it depends on what you do. But for for people who are editing video and audio and doing live streaming with sound effects and all that, they need to have a lot of controls. Like when you were in a radio station. I saw uh, some young lady was describing her. Uh, she does music and uh, electronica and stuff like that. And the desk that she was sitting at, I mean, it was a big desk, was covered with controllers, control yeah. surfaces, all kinds of keyboards. All, I mean, it's just, it's, it's, it's the sort of thing that just develops after a little while. I really don't want to have that. I don't want to have 14 different devices on my desk. So Yeah, but now the thing about the monogram that's really cool, and I just sent you a photo, is you can set it up around your keyboard so you can have some of it to the right of the keyboard and some of it across the top. It's a lot more flexible than the other types of devices since it is kind of like a jigsaw. It's kind of like dominoes. Yeah, just right. Fit together. Exactly. Yeah. It's very much like dominoes. In fact I've been looking I've been looking at the real estate here on my desk going, where am I gonna Yeah you know, put this, it's the sort of thing I, it's, I'm very excited as you yeah. can tell about getting. <laughs> okay. Do you have any other conversation starters? Because this really hasn't been about music. This has been about the process of working with music on the creative side. But I thought that was interesting because we very rarely talk about how that we both use logic and we both do audio, you know, cause it's, it's kind of yeah. inside baseball stuff. Well, the other thing I wanted to get an update on your, um, your immersive audio experience. We did a brief epilogue to our Chris Conacher episode where you went out and got a couple of Sonus uh, ones and um, and hooked it up into your TV room and have what's your experience been with that lately? I finally got the right cables to get the Sonos ones to connect to plugs in the wall instead of power strip on top of a speaker stand. <laughs> I needed to get extension cables. And I haven't had time to listen much, but one thing I did do is I pre-ordered the Blu-ray of Brian Eno's new album, Forever and Evermore, which is a Dolby Atmos mix. And when Brian Eno makes a record in Dolby Atmos, that's got to be something impressive. Sure, sure. So what I have listened to is fine, but I'm waiting for something that's more expressly made for that. That's exactly what I've been waiting for. I, I really want to know where they're going. I want to, I want to hear an immersive audio Dolby Atmos specifically produced piece so that, it, 
you can't listen to it on stereo. <laughs> you can't go back and listen to it. You have to have the immersive. That would be, that's, that'll be enough for me. I'd like to hear that. I'm just looking at Brian Eno's website and he talks about Reflection, which we talked about a couple years ago when it was released with Peter Chilvers, who works with Brian Eno, who is the one who made the app. And I just clicked through on the Brian Eno website to a page on Reflection. It says, so it's talking about the app and the vinyl and the CD, which if, if you recall, they took 60 minutes and put it on a CD. Also to be released as deluxe generative versions for iOS and Apple TV. Now, I don't know if you remember 77 million or 77 million paintings, whatever it was called. It was a CD-ROM, was about 20 years old, which generated these paintings through these different things. And the images that they're showing here look exactly like that. And I had always thought, man, if they could make an iOS app for that, I would take an old iPad and I'd put it on a wall and I'd leave it running. So when this is over, I'm going to email Peter Chilvers and ask about this because I would really love to see this. The, the link connects to the iTunes store where it's just showing the albums as opposed to anything about the app. But I want to find out about this because I remember leaving that on my Mac back in the CRT days. And, you know, the display is not that great. And it was fun, but it's something you want to have all the time someplace because the whole point is that it just keeps shifting and changing. It's this permanent impermanence. Um, so that's right. You don't want to turn it on to get it. You want it to evolve on right. its own. You all want it to time. be there. Yeah. yeah. So that's kind of exciting. And in fact, I have an old 40 inch dumb TV, 1080p, doesn't do any smart stuff. And I was thinking of giving it away. And now I can, I can use one of those Apple TV threes I have, and I can stick this up on a wall someplace. And this might be a, <laughs> a weekend project coming soon. But that's, isn't that, isn't that, uh, don't you think that that uses too much power for the amount of uh, joy? Well, I that wouldn't it leave gives? it on 24 hours a day, but I would find some place to put it. I mean, an iPad's kind of small. You want something more immersive? Yeah. Well, while you're having a sandwich in the kitchen, you want to stare at something. That would be the thing, <laughs> you know? Yeah, well... <laughs> well I mean, not the kitchen, but you know what I mean. It's like something yeah. that's there. Well, it's look, what look. it is, is it's a living piece of artwork. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I've got artwork on my walls. You can see this stuff over here. I've got a Brian Eno album cover up there. I've got a photo of Miles Davis over here. I like having artwork, but having something that's changing. Get an aquarium. Slowly, subtly. <laughs> then you have to worry about feeding the fish. But yeah, it's kind of it's kind of a... yeah. It's kind of an aquarium, but I'm assuming what it'll do is it'll be playing the reflection music at the same time, which you could turn on or off. But I find that a really interesting concept. Yeah, I, I, the idea that it's playing the music all the time is nice. I mean, I could do without the. I mean, the pictures are fine, but I like I like the sounds that it makes too. So I used to run it overnight. I've run it overnight. Yeah, so have I. The the problem is that the reflection app is just boring picture. All right. Well, that settles that then. So, so what, what else is on your list today, Doug? I'm glad you made a list because I was coming into this podcast with no idea what we're going to well, talk about. The other thing I wanted to say is we dropped Skype and we're using Zoom, which is really interesting because we used Skype exclusively when we started. It was the only thing that worked um regularly and it's the only thing that really existed for free wasn't yeah, it for a long time yeah and most people had a skype account now thanks to COVID, most people have zoom accounts 
And the apps... No, you don't need a Zoom account. That's the difference. Oh, yes, so that's right. So we would have to tell people, do you have a Skype account? And we'd get guests who would say, um, I think so. Let me check. And they'd find they had an old Skype account or they'd sign up. Now you just send someone a link and they click and they join in Zoom. And that, that removes a layer of friction. I'm wondering how the Microsoft feels about that because they really had Skype for a long time and really let it languish. Just kind of didn't do anything much to improve it. And then Zoom comes along and whammo. I don't think Microsoft cares because Skype is part of Microsoft Teams. So it's part of their enterprise software now. And that's why they bought it initially, I'm pretty sure. So they don't care about us using it. They only care about their people using it. Yeah, they care about selling the product to businesses. Right, right. For, you know, larger numbers of people, better quality, all all the reasons you would want to use uh, something like that, like what was it, Cisco WebEx, whatever, back in the day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, these were these were things used by enterprises, and Microsoft just rolled this into their teams, I think. And Google has a thing, but they keep changing what it's called and changing what it does. And it, Google. So, <laughs> yeah, the thing about Zoom is it is only Zoom. They're going to start rolling in things. They've already rolled in an interactive whiteboard. They're probably going to have Zoom docs at some point because they have to grow. But I think Zoom is easy enough to use for this sort of thing, eliminates accounts. It's easy to control what goes on with different people. You can have a lot of people. You know, I've been in Zoom calls with hundreds of people. You don't see them all necessarily, but it's relatively simple to use. Don't look at the settings on the Zoom website. If you have a Zoom account, don't look at the settings. They're about 500. It's like Logic Pro. Oh, my God. Talk about logic. Yeah, right. Exactly. Thousands of commands. The one thing I will say about Zoom that I have had no bumps with it. Like with Skype, there was always something. It would, if there was always something with Skype. I don't even know how to say what I mean exactly. Like the audio would be low or there would be glitches and or noises coming through the line with Zoom. There has not been any issues. And we record right off of Zoom. We, you know, we, pipe the sound into recording software and things like that. So For our guests, we record ourselves locally, but with our guests, we record them on Zoom. And another benefit is that, I don't know if it's if it just sounds better, but guests who are on Zoom, even if they don't have a pro mic, sound better. And that's just the sort of thing that I would notice. But um, I, I'm just very happy with Zoom, and I uh, maybe it's late to congratulate them, but uh, I think that... Well, we only made the shift for the podcast a few months ago. Because I got a Zoom account for some other work. Previously, you could Zoom, you could do a call for up to two hours with three people, and then they reduced it to an hour, then they reduced it to 40 minutes with only two people. So that meant that for doing interviews, I would need to pay for it, which I do, And but that's life. Just another one of those $10 a month services that I have to pay for. Well, we have a Patreon account. We ask people to help support the podcast, and that's where... Yes. That's where the money goes, places like that. That's part of it. Well, not all of it, because this is used for other things. But yes, we thank our Patreon members and subscribers. And it's a shame we can't really offer anything more. You know, what we could do is we could do like a live Zoom with our Patreon subscribers once, if you want. Yeah, we should do that sometime. Take questions? Yeah, sure. If anyone likes that idea, write in and tell us. And I mean, we'd have time zone issues, so we'd have to be on a weekend, but we could do that. Sure. I don't have a problem with having a big Zoom call. That would be fun. That might be fun. Okay. All right. Should we do some next tracks? Sure. Right. So what I've been listening to this weekend, this, you know, when I find a new album I like, my style is to listen to it a dozen times. 
right, over and over, because I really want to imprint it. I want to understand it. It's not just here at once. And a few days ago, I discovered an album from last year called Leviathan by The Grid and Robert Fripp. Now, I had discovered this because of Fripp, and I had added it to my music library, and I'd forgotten about it. I maybe listened to it once back last year. And I was in the kitchen and I put on my personal radio station and music. And this song came up. It was really good. I said, okay, got to listen to that album. Now, I don't know what Fripp's contribution is. You can hear some Fripp guitar. You can hear some Fripp soundscape music at times, but it's not entirely, it doesn't sound like he was a hundred percent involved. However, this is really nice ambient electronic music that there's one piece that has a really nice rhythm that goes on for like 10 minutes and another 10 minute piece that starts out with all the boop beep electronic stuff from the 70s. It's a really clever mixture of the varieties of electronic music that are out there. Now, The Grid is two people named David Ball, who was in Soft Cell and Richard Norris, I don't know where he was before. Apparently, they both work with Psychic TV, and they've been around in electronic music. And somehow, Fripp came in and made Leviathan. So it's Leviathan by The Grid and Robert Fripp. Doug, what have you got? It's hard to find where to hear new music, especially if it's new music to you. We talked about Discovery a lot. And one of the things I really appreciate is on social media, uh, a lot of the people I follow will say, hey, I'm listening to this obscure album today. Sid Smith is a guy who does that occasionally. Um, but there are others, too. And somebody recently put up the first album by a band called Budgie, called Squawk. Now, Budgie, well, first of all, Budgie is a canary. Right? It's cute. Uh, Budgie was a power trio from England uh, in the early 70s, maybe late 60s. They were a power trio, and I, I really like power trios. I used to jam with a couple of guys, a pair of brothers, actually. One, one guitar player, one was the drummer, and I played bass, and we used to just jam. And we were really into power trios. You know, everything from The Who, the Jimi Hendrix, Blue Suede, uh, you know, any, anybody, any Mountain, you know, any number of the bands that Jack Bruce put together after Cream. We just liked power trios because of the way they had to, you know, handle the music with a small number of instruments. And uh, Budgie, who I did not listen to at the time, is actually a very unique sounding power trio. Uh, it's, the, the bass player's got a very distinguished sound. The guitar player goes crazy. They do a lot of blues and boogie stuff. That's, that's kind of why I'm into British power trios, because they're generally speaking kind of boogie-based. But uh, I was really surprised and kind of delighted to, to find a couple of albums from Budgie anyway, that, uh, that are at least new to me. The one I'm going to be listening to is Squawk from Budgie. That's my next track. This was episode number 243 of the next track. Thanks for listening. You can start or join a conversation in the comments section of this episode's show page at our website. And you'll also find links to some of the things we talked about in the show notes for this episode. Just visit thenexttrack.com. You can follow us on Twitter at Next Track Cast. And don't forget to support The Next Track by making regular donations via Patreon. We're ad-free and self-sustaining, so listener support is what keeps us going. Visit patreon.com slash the next track. I'm Doug Adams, and for Kirk McElhern, thanks again. We'll talk to you next time. <laughs>